ladies and gentlemen, today I'm interviewing Scott Bemis, retired publisher and president of the Denver Business Journal. He also has a very big interest in supporting um, the in-prison population, and that's kind of how we met, and we'll get into that a little bit. But before we get into the, the, the meat and potatoes, Scott, how's it going today? It's going great. It's a beautiful day in yeah. Colorado. Yeah, it is. It is. And I'm, I'm jealous. You're up in the mountains, so, so good for you. Um, you know, but to kind of get things rolling here a little bit, if if you could see any entertainer, live or dead, in the world, um, front row, who would you go see? You know, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And the person's name that keeps coming to mind is John Legend. Okay. I, uh, I, I just believe that he's got a beautiful way about the way he handles himself and I love his music and he just seems like a kind, gentle man. And, uh, yeah. he's one of those guys I'd, I'd love to be in the front row. I'd love to be able to have dinner with him and, uh, see what's behind that person. Right. I mean, he has, uh, well, obviously, you know, he's, he's put a big interest into uh, a common interest of ours, which is incarcerated individuals and, and rights of and mass incarceration and has done a big push around that. And I believe he started a program. I forget the name of it off the top of my head. You might know um, that uh, is doing a lot of work in that arena. So I, I share your enthusiasm on on getting to meet him one day potentially. Yeah, well, maybe the three of us can sit down and have dinner together one of these days. Talk about That'd our common interests. That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. It would be. Yeah. So, so give us a little bit about about yourself, Scott. You know, the who, what, when. Um, you know, where'd you grow up? You know, what 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 got you into to the publishing arena? You were in, in that for thirty years, and you. Sure. since retired and going on and doing other things, but, you know, kind of give us a little, little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I, uh, I grew up with a, uh, a family of five kids in Lorain, Ohio, just outside of Cleveland. And, um, my mom is 101 and a half right now, still living in the wow. house that I grew up in by herself. Yeah. And, That's uh, Fortunately, my brother, who is an actor and lives in New York, decided to just hop a plane and go see mom on March 10th. Two days later, the world shut down. And so fortunately, my, my brother has been with mom uh, during this entire uh, shutdown and has been able to be there to keep her company and, and take her for rides in the car and, and get her groceries. But uh, uh, my mom is, is really an amazing woman. Um, when I was 12 years old, um, my dad died unexpectedly and um, left my mom with five kids and a florist business to run. And um, not once did I ever hear her say, why me? Or, oh, yeah. poor me. Or, how are we ever going to make this work? Uh, she was just very, very positive from the very beginning. Just said, we're, we're going to make this work. Uh, we have so much love in our family. And um, I tell you what, she, she did make it work. Um, and I can tell you a, a short story about December 17th, 1962. I was in sixth grade and my sister was going to take me up to our grade school to, uh, so I could perform in the Christmas, uh, Christmas play. And we were met on the back porch by my mom and my dad was supposed to have surgery that day. And, and, uh, we were all told that this would be pretty routine. And, um, my sister and I had just walked out the back door and mom met us on the porch and she said, your dad just died. Wow. And Heavy. it kind of it took my breath away, and yeah, I can imagine. Uh, I did not become emotional uh, at that moment. I uh, just took a deep breath and um, tried to take it all in. And then I turned to my sister and I said, "Polly, we need to get up to the school for my play." And Mom said, 
you don't have to go up to school for the play. Your dad just died, and they'll understand. I said, Mom, you've always taught us to keep our responsibilities. And my responsibility tonight is to be in that play. And I need to go up and be in the play. I think I had one line in the play, but I had a responsibility that she had taught me. And so I proceeded to go to school and in the play and then came home uh, right afterwards. And and that's when the grieving process started. But um, she showed so much strength during that time. She had lost the love of her life that day. And they had been married uh, about 25 years when dad died. And um, I can just, I just can't emphasize enough the, the strength uh, and the work ethic we were all taught um, at a very, very young age. And the way we made it is that every kid in the family had a job in the florist business. My older sisters helped uh, design flowers for funerals, for weddings, corsages, things like that. My older brother um, was 16, so he could drive the delivery truck. I was 12, so I planted flowers, watered flowers, picked flowers. And um, if we had a lot of deliveries, then I would ride with the driver and I would run the flowers into the hospital, into the funeral home or to somebody's front doorstep. But I learned a work ethic at such a young age that it has carried me through my entire career. And um, I have never pretended to be the smartest guy in the room, but um, I'm willing to work harder than anybody else in the room. And yeah, uh, it's taken me through my business career that way. Yeah, I mean, that's a it's a pretty, I mean, heavy thing to be walk into, right? Walk out your porch and kind of being happy and going to a play and getting hit with that in the face, so to speak, is uh, it probably, you were probably still in shock all the way through the play and didn't realize really the, the magnitude of it until you got home. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it's amazing how things like that can change, um, you know, everything but at the same time make the things like you said a lot of love and a lot of collaboration and a, and a lot of effort came into the, the family as a unit it sounds like to make it work and um right. you know hats, hats off into to making it work and that work ethic i grew up on a farm so i understand the, the work ethic thing is you know up early before school and feed the cows and you know get ready and then go to yep. school and football practice come home and you know chores are still there waiting for you it doesn't matter if you're worn out and tired or not so that that's exactly right in the uh, as i was born on a farm and then we moved to um the house that my mom is still on today when my grandmother died so that our family could then take over the florist business and in the florist business and in the farming uh there, there are no days off those cows still have to be milked uh those flowers yeah. still need to be and um, so the, I, I took my first two-week vacation when I was 50 years old. Wow. And just never, you know, when I went to college, the minute uh, school was out, I'd get back to Ohio and I built swimming pools during the summertime to pay for my college uh, because I knew mom didn't have the money to pay for college for any of us. So um, we just had to figure it out. And right. uh, my way of figuring out was to uh, work building swimming pools during the summertime and then uh, on job campus. And then you get your government loan that you take 10 years to pay off after you graduate from college. And um, uh, I, I'm glad that I had to earn my way through college because I certainly appreciated the experience. And I had buddies who were in school with me. And when I went home during spring break, just for a week, I'd go home and work construction. And my buddies were off in Vail skiing. And uh, so, um, and, I, and I'm glad it, I'm glad it worked out that way. I really am. Yeah, definitely. You know, the, the hard work I've always said kind of, um, is a character builder, you know, it's like you, if everything, if everything, if everything's always given to you and, and, and it's always easy, 
Um, it obviously doesn't make the good times, I think, feel as good or you don't feel as blessed about when things start to kind of roll and you get in the, into the flow of things, so to speak. And, 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 you know, kind of like you said, you, you, you were probably working so hard up until 50 and you took, took your first two weeks. Where'd you go for your first two weeks? I'm curious. Went, went to Europe. My kids made it to Europe before I did. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, that was the first vacation, two weeks, and, and that vacation was to Europe. So we, we got to visit Rome and and uh, Venice and some very, very pretty places. Uh, and we've been back a couple times since because um, it's a great experience. And, and the history uh, in Europe is just fascinating, it really is. Yeah, it makes you kind of realize when when you're an American, you're like, oh yeah, right. We're we're still kids over here on the other side of the pond, so to speak, as far as a, a society or a civilization goes. You know, sure. we, we forget tearing, that. Yeah, yeah, we're tearing buildings down after 25 or 30 years, and and we were in buildings that were 2,000 years old. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's cool. Um, I've not made it down to that part of Europe um, yet. I, um, you know, as you know, with my passport, I'm still on paper right now. But my my first international trip is planned to be to Italy, um, and Venice, and and then up into the Dolomites and, and you know the Swiss Swiss Italian Alps and, and enjoy that area. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. As that's on. On my radar for uh, just keep on saying I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. So you're gonna do it. You'll love I'm it when you it. get there. Yeah, I'm, I've heard nothing but amazing things. So you've given us a little bit about you know the childhood and what brought you up and in, into you know what kind of makes you you and the, the hard work and, and you know the collaboration with family and the love and, and you know what how does you, it doesn't sound like you've really ever crossed anyone's past that had an, uh, you know, running with the law, maybe not at least on a major standpoint. How did you come into this being such a, a huge proponent for redemption and, and, and being, you know, just so empathetic around the, this population? Well, I actually had some exposure to the correctional system when I was in college. I majored in sociology and kind of emphasized uh, my studies on criminology. So a uh, full quarter of my junior year and a full quarter of my senior year, I spent off campus in a boys' detention home in Illinois. And um, really, really enjoyed that experience. Um, but it wasn't until just several years ago that I really became passionate about working in the correction system. I'm on a board called Rachel's Challenge, and Rachel's Challenge was established when Rachel Scott was the first student at Columbine killed in the Columbine Massacre in 1999. That was the largest um, tragedy in a, in a high school at that time. and. Um, I, when I was with the Business Journals, I had her dad, Daryl Scott, speak uh, for an event, a Business Journal event. And he established Rachel's Challenge, uh, the nonprofit, after about six months after Rachel was killed. And they have uh, speakers who are trained who speak all over the world telling Rachel's story. And Rachel's story is all about inclusion. It's, it's all, it's also an anti-bullying message without really calling it anti-bullying. But um, bullies have heard the message when their speakers speak and they come out of the audience with tears running down their face. And it's because Rachel stood for acceptance. And she was a person who actually stood up to the bullies at Columbine High School. When she saw bullies picking on uh, a fat kid, a black kid, uh, uh, somebody with um, uh, physical problems, she, right. would, she would stand up to the bully, say, you go through me to get to them. But with that, she said, we can all find what we look for in another person. If you decide if you make the choice to look for a good, the good in another person, you will find the good. 
and you can make a list of their good qualities. If you choose to look for the bad in another person, you can make a list of the qualities that aren't so good. She said, but make the choice to look for the good in others and you can change the world one person at a time. And she said, don't look at people for their physical appearance, look into their heart and you're bound to find good in others. Well, that message and much, much more has traveled the world over the last 25 years since Columbine, or 20 years since Columbine. And their speakers have now reached over 25 million people in live audiences. No. This is not TV and radio, this is live no. audiences with Rachel's message. Well, one day, uh, over six years ago, I was at work and, and I've served on uh, the board of Rachel's Challenge now for about the last uh, seven or eight years. So Daryl Scott called one day, um, a little over six years ago, he said, one of our speakers is going to speak at the federal prison in Florence, Colorado. Would you like to go along? I said, absolutely. So I went with um, Patrick that day down to the prison in Florence, and I had no idea what to expect. No idea whatsoever. And I walked in to the room, uh, the, uh, we had about 80 offenders in the chapel and that's where Patrick spoke. I sat on the side looking at the sides of the inmates as they were looking forward toward Patrick. So I could see their expressions. I could see their body language when Patrick was telling Rachel's story and talking about looking for the good in others. And, um, I was overcome by the kindness, the love, the appreciation that the men showed for the speaker and for the message. Patrick spoke for about an hour and 15 minutes and then the guys were given a break and then they came back and the next hour and a half was for them to reflect on what they had heard. And, um, they, the, the, the first two words out of every person's mouth that just blew me away. They had the microphone and they said, thank you, Patrick. Thank you for your message. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today. And thank you for sharing Rachel's story with us. And here's what I heard today. And this is the type of person I now want to be because of what I heard today, to look for the good in others and to be there for others. And it was, I, I would say out of the 80 men that day, 60 out of the 80 took the microphone to say thank you and to share what they had heard that day. Well, about two months later, we went back down. Patrick came along, uh, but Daryl Scott, Rachel's father and his wife, came along and the four of us went back to the prison. And when we arrived, the program director said, um, today we're not going to go to the chapel. We're going to go to the cell block because the guys wow. want to show you what they learned the last time Rachel's challenge was here. So we went to the cell block and, and of course you, you have uh, the cell doors along uh, four sides with this open area in the middle. And that's where they would hold their meetings. And then of course a balcony up above and the cells uh, along the, the balcony on, on all sides. So when we arrived, the guys were all meeting in the middle and they stopped the meeting the minute we arrived and uh, the program director introduced all of us. And um, this has to be probably one of the most emotional moments and one of the most moving experiences I've had in my life. They said, we really wanna show you what we learned last time. So we looked at all the cell doors and you had these birds cut out of construction paper like we did in grade school. You'd cut these right. various 
Birds to them meant freedom. Every door was absolutely covered with birds and on the birds were messages from one to another. So if I had a cell on my door, Scott, thank you for being my friend. Scott, thank you for listening to me. Scott, thank you for being there when I was having a bad day. Scott, thank you for standing up for me. So all these messages were messages of appreciation, of finding the good in others. Well, the story continues. The program director then said to the guys, go take all the birds off of your doors and go to the balcony upstairs. And what happened next? I'm going to get emotional again. What happened next blew me away. The guys go upstairs and they're lining the balcony. We're looking up at them. And the program director said, release your birds. Which was that symbol of freedom to them. And the birds come fluttering down on us, hundreds of them. And then the program director pressed the button on the cassette recorder. And the song was Lean On Me. Wow. Absolutely blew us away. Daryl Scott is crying. I'm crying. His wife is crying. And the, the, the guys are just up in that balcony, arm in arm, swaying back yeah. and forth, singing Lean on Me. I'll never forget that experience the rest of my life. So the guys then come downstairs and they pick up all of these paper birds. You see, Scott, would you like to have some? I said, absolutely. So they gave me about 15 birds with 15 different messages on there from one guy to another. I then proceeded to go back to my office the next day. And every day for the next 15 days, I would reread one of those messages and then put it on my door in my office. And then as people would come in to visit with me, so what's the deal with those birds? And I would get to tell them that story all over again. Well, after that very first trip, uh, when I was so impressed with the men, uh, I went to the program director and I said, I've never experienced such love and kindness as I have today in this room. I said, I have to come back. She said, well, you can't just come and visit. But if you can have something to do with the program, you could come back as much as you'd like. I said, well, I have access to a lot of speakers. I can bring speakers down. And she said, we're on. So for the last six years, uh, I visited the Florence prison 10 to 12 times a year. And I would take speakers in who inspired the men. But we would always leave. The speaker and I would always leave inspired by the men. Yeah. And it got to the point where the minute we showed up at the door, many of them would just line up to give me a hug, shake my hand and say, thanks for coming back. This means so much to us. Right. And so um, that's what has led to six years of uh, taking speakers. Many, many of the speakers were have been former offenders who yeah. uh, have told their story and have really inspired the men to want to get out and be like them, to be a dad again, to be a husband again, to work, to be a part of the community. And... Uh, so that's how I, I really got hooked. And then it has uh, progressed from, from that point to where I'm now very, very interested in working with the state prisons, because in Colorado, we have 23 state prisons. Right. And um, uh, so we can, we can reach a lot more people by visiting 23 state prisons versus a couple of federal prisons. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an amazing story. I mean, um, you've, you've told me that 
to me before and every time I, I kind of get goosebumps um hard not to especially like I, I I am intimately aware of of the other side of the setting um so you know the have someone to come in spend that kind of time and and share stories like that and and to motivate you know individuals to do that and it's hard to keep that kind of positivity and the, that that message of like finding the good in others, especially in that area when, you know, you're all crammed in together and there's always, you know, conflicts of um, personalities and the politics of different gangs or race. And, you know, so it's to be able to inspire that group to do that um, is just amazing. So, I mean, I congratulate you for doing that and then and being so, for lack of a better word, hooked <laughs> on, on visiting those guys and, and and realizing the humanity of it, right? I mean, that's what it really boils down to. Is that I kind of say this over and over again that we, it's it's human to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. We're all, Absolutely. you know, there. If if someone can, as in Defy, there's this program called Step to the Line, and if at one point you don't step to the line of 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 realizing that you're not that far from you know, just getting caught in, in a, in a situation that you're really no different in, in human. You're not really probably being honest with yourself. I don't believe. Um, and that's truly where it comes down to is that, um, you know, so many are doing a lot of time for something that could have been not looked at that heavily, at, at, you know, in society today. Um, and right. it's just, right. you know, um, it's kind of crazy um, the amount of time that people give and, you know, that, that humanity side of it, I've always said, I was like, man, I just wish the DAs would have to go and just be like, okay, I got elected to be a DA. I don't know what's going to happen there and come arrest me. I'm going to go through this whole process of getting booked and put in and, you know, have to go through DRDC and, and just, to understand that trauma of just that process and not even having to live in, in, in a cell for a while, I think would people would just be like, Whoa, you know, we're, we're a little bit heavy on, on some of, of the penalties and time that we give. Um, and I'm going off kind of on a little bit of a, of a tangent differently there. I mean, I just, I, I'm just blown away by when I hear individuals such as yourself and, you know, Rachel's story and, and her dad and, you know, how that message has spread around the globe, not just here in Colorado because it was a Colorado incident, but literally around the globe. Right. Um, and like you, to your point, of over 25 million people now um, is, is, is amazing. I mean, it's, it's truly um, humbling to, you know, think about that. And the, to think about that her dad, after her death, carried on her message of acceptance and forgiveness, um, even for the individuals that committed such a, a terrible, um, you know, crime. That's not even a crime. That's just a, a terrible injustice against humanity. Um, and, um, you know, it's it's amazing. And, and that your involvement with that is, is, is great. So. Um, you know, congratulations for doing great work. Um, wow. You know, um, and then, you know, you've talked about some other speakers and, and you've introduced me to a couple of guys. I think Evan was on a couple of podcasts prior to this. Uh, and what an amazing guy too, right? To his story. And, and you've, you've become a big fan and I know I've helped him get back into the prison systems and some of the speeches and, and, you know, Evan and I have been able to talk a few times and, and I think, I think he just announced his book deal. So, I mean, congratulations Evan uh, on that. And I know uh, you're a big fan. I know that his story really resonated to you as well. Talk a little bit about that. Cause I know that you guys have actually become pretty close friends. At this sure. Point, well, I, uh, I, I met Ethan whew, probably close to 10 years ago and um what a remarkable guy he is. And um, uh, to briefly tell Ethan's story, he, um, 
he was on track to be a division one basketball player. Uh, he was an incredible high school basketball player. Um, and he was starting to get some offers from D one schools. And, um, but the problem was he had this addiction and, uh, he was addicted to drugs and alcohol. So, uh, I think the word got out and he didn't get offers from any D1 schools. So he ended up going to some Division II schools to play basketball. The problem was all he wanted to do was play basketball and get high. And so he, over time, flunked out of five different colleges because he would, he would be able to go to college and play through the fall until grades came out, and then he would flunk out and have to move on. Well, in the summer of 2003, uh, he was invited to a party and um, he decided to stop at a liquor store and buy one of those gallon jugs of red wine. And he said, man, I had, I had had everything else to drink, but I'd never had red wine. So he got to the party and poured that first little glass of, of wine. And uh, I said, wow, that tasted pretty good. And it went down easy and he had another and another and another. And the next thing he knew, he woke up in a hospital the next day. And uh, he had completely blacked out behind the wheel that night and uh, hit a man head on and killed a 57-year-old husband and father and and brother. And he served time. And uh, Ethan was the model inmate and um, only served a little over three years. Uh, and he decided to really make something of himself when he got out of school, uh, out of prison and he became a speaker and he has now spoken to thousands and thousands of students, um, a- across the country telling his story. And, um, he, he pretty much knows that he may not be able to get you to quit drinking, but if he can have an influence on getting you to quit drinking and driving, then he has succeeded. And his, his story touched me personally because in the past, I would go to an event and uh, you go to the reception before the dinner and you have a glass or so of wine and then sit down and then you have a couple of bottles of wine on your table and who knows you know they just keep refilling the glass even if it was down a little bit they just keep adding more so you don't even know how much you've had to drink but i know that there were nights when i was driving home from those events and i shouldn't have been driving i was lucky ethan said he had driven many many times drunk before that night in 2003 and he said that night i wasn't lucky and it changed his life forever well since meeting ethan and hearing his story i never drink and drive because it only takes one unfortunate accident to turn your life upside down and and change your life forever and even though he has served his time and uh, he's speaking to students um, uh, every year, he still wakes up every day and he is haunted by that accident. Yeah. And the fact that he took Bill's life. He said, I would, I would serve another 20 years if it would bring Bill back. But obviously it won't. So the next best thing I can do is to hopefully influence young people through my story so yeah yeah so that's i agree i mean you know he's an incredible young man and and you know just the whole redemption of of going through the hardship of of the time and turning your life around like that it's not easy and then to, to get out and just be so vulnerable and to share that message of, of not only that it was that 
that he was just wanting to play basketball and get highs that he had a lot of underlying issues with depression that he wouldn't didn't recognize and didn't didn't understand and um that the time that he got to do actually got him in touch with that and that he was able to then you know kind of pinpoint more of what was driving you know the self-medication point of it that he wasn't happy unless he was high or playing basketball and and, right. and the underlying issue of that was that he was severely depressed um, for some things. And so, you know, until I think we can get to sometimes what drives us or what makes us um, do certain things, it's it, it's super hard to recognize the patterns. So, um, you know, unfortunately, something so drastic like that had to happen. But at the same time, because of he's touched hundreds of lives and I know it changed many young men and women's um, lives and changing the, I don't, not the persona, but the, the, the awareness around teen um, depression and, and that it's okay to have a conversation about and, and that if, if you don't, you know, it, it's a slippery slope for individuals. So, uh, well, it really is. And, and once again, the influence he has made on these teenagers over the years is staggering. Um, kids will line up to just have a few words with Ethan. They'll line up for two hours after he speaks and uh, because they want to share their story with him. You just say, Ethan, I, I've been battling depression. Uh, I've been drinking and driving. Um, I cannot thank you enough for your message today because it is really going to help me get on the right path. Ethan tells me that some of these students end up going home as white as a sheet and they, they go to their parents and just say, this is what I've been doing <laughs> and I will never drink and drive again right. after meeting Ethan Fisher today. Right. And so he is now saving lives. He took one life, but I know with the thousands of students he's interacted with over the years, he has now saved hundreds of lives yeah. with his message. I, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. And, and, and not only just with the drinking and driving aspect of it, of, of getting people to be like, okay, I need to have a conversation around my underlying issues. Um, and and then really being able to to change lives in that direction too um so i mean it's you know in, incredible guy um you know we're, we're getting kind of deep here to kind of lighten it up a little bit um you spoke a little bit earlier about your mom i'm guessing she's she's a hero of yours but do you have any other heroes do you <laughs> you know uh the, the the guy that that brought me into the newspaper business is is truly a hero to me because um, he was such a great example to me of how to treat people. Uh, he had he had already owned several different companies when he then decided to get into the newspaper business, and I watched the way he treated his people, and um, he was truly a servant to them. Uh, they were not working for him. He said, they work with me. Um, and my job is to make their job the best job they've ever had. And it's, and it's being aware and it's, it's knowing what uh, gets these people excited and feeding those things. And um, so then when I had the opportunity to go to work for this guy, uh, I didn't hesitate for a moment. And we were having breakfast one day and um, he said, I, I'd really like to have you consider going to work for the business journals. And um, I said, I don't know the first thing about the newspaper business. He said, you'll learn. He's, and the fact that he believed in me, that's all I needed. And then he said, but I'd feel so bad if this didn't work out. I said, Mark, if it doesn't work out, it won't be your fault. It will have been mine. He right. said, okay, we're good to go. <laughs> so, 
So, you know, 31 years later, uh, I retired from, from the newspaper business. But um, I started in that business June 6th of 1983. And every year on June 6th, I call him and thank him again for the opportunity. But let me tell you about some other people that I really, really admire. And these are the, the mainly I, I really haven't interacted with uh, many female in, inmates. It's, it's mainly been guys. Um, but these guys who have truly taken responsibility for their actions and so many of the guys that I've met in prison have said, Scott, I needed to be in prison. He said, I was out of control. And it, it may have saved my life because if I had gone much longer in my life of crime, I probably would, would be dead. And I needed to go to prison. And I'm now ready to reenter society and make something of myself. And, um, and to see people like Ethan Fisher, like Mark Jackson, like George Medley, like Jeff Johnson, who made a decision while they were still in to really prepare themselves for life after prison and to be a husband, a father, and a contributor to society. Um, that really, really uh, makes me feel that they're much more of a hero than than many of our so-called heroes who might be uh, professional athletes or something like that. Right. Um, and uh, I don't know if you happen to recently catch um, America's Got Talent, but just a few nights ago, uh, one of the performers was a guy named Reggie who was falsely accused of killing somebody and he was in for 37 years for a crime he didn't commit. He just got out last year. He said, I went to prison, but I let, I never let my mind go to prison. Right. And so he started singing in prison. And Wednesday night, um, Tuesday night, he... He was on America's Got Talent, and he brought the house down with Amazing. his song yep. and really brought the house down with his story. He wasn't bitter. He wasn't angry. But fortunately, through the Innocence Project, they found fingerprints that didn't belong to him. And the yep. person who did commit the crime was finally uh, sent to prison and Reggie was uh, released after 37 years of serving for a crime he didn't commit. That's a hero to me. That's truly a hero. Yeah. To come out of that, like, as you said, not angry, not bitter, not blaming society of, of why did you do this to me? And, and while you're in learning, I mean, he self taught himself how to sing. It's not like you have, voice coaches and you know and, and, you know breathing coaches that a lot of the stars have you just you just do it and you know to be that kind of self-taught talent and to come about and do that i mean i see so much of that obviously you know with art art for redemption i saw so much talent in there that was just amazing. And th that was just self-taught. That was just them just looking at something and just sitting and drawing it over and over and again until it, like the replication was even better than the photograph because some of the, the details that they would bring in depth into it, it was just like, wow, that is incredible. Um, and that inspired me um, to, you know, start this project and, and to create the book that will be, um, you know, with the way of the world, with, everything's kind of gotten pushed um yeah. you know we were, we were looking to hope to launch a crowdfund here in the next couple of weeks but it looks like it'll probably be pushed back into september now but um you know excited about it still and you know it's just been you know the way of the world with the COVID on the shutdown of the prisons and trying to get messagings in and and different things has just been a challenge over the last little bit but i'm excited to 
It seems like the world is coming back a little bit around the normal for the summer, but I mean, what 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 that means, uh, we I don't think any of us have a clue quite yet. Um, right. Yeah. So, you know, you know, Scott, I'm just, I, I just, I mean, I'm, I've always so amazed by your story and your enthusiasm and your empathy for, for the population, and not only that, just you know, for the community on, on a whole. And you're making such impacts, but I mean, kind of tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what, what do you, what do you hope that when you look back or you're looking down and, and someone's saying what you did for the community, what, 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 what does that look like? What, what do you hope that that might look like? Well, um, I truly, uh, it, it's my mission to, to serve others. Yeah. And um, I've really enjoyed um, giving back in the last number of years. I, I've had a phenomenal career. And um, so I, I just wondered how I might be able to give back and pay it forward. And one way of paying it forward has been um, the work in the prisons. I also mentor 25 young business professionals in their 20s and 30s, who are in different stages of their careers. And I refuse to charge them for the service. And, and the number of times, Buck, that I've been asked, Scott, why don't you charge them 2,500 a year, 3,000 a year for the service you're providing? I said, there's no way. There's absolutely no way I would ever charge them. I said, this is my way to just kind of pay it forward for a phenomenal career. And the only thing I ask of them is that someday they'll do this for right. a business person yeah. who's on the way. So my commitment to them is to meet four times a year, one-on-one. -on -one. And that meeting is all about them. What's going yeah. on in their lives, their professional life, their personal life, marriages, divorces, babies, job changes. <laughs> uh, they're going through it all, let me tell you. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and um, I, I'm honored when I get that phone call, and it's one of the first phone calls they make when something goes kind of haywire in their life. Uh, they may have just lost their job or... Um, they, uh, their, their husband or wife just filed for divorce. Uh, um, but we, we've just had some amazing deep conversations. And um, in addition to meeting with all of them four times a year, I, I pull the whole group of 25 together four times a year. And uh, I've taken some of them to, to the prison with me. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and they'll all tell you that it's, it's a day they'll never forget. Right. And uh, so I've really enjoyed doing that. Um, I feel the work is not done yet, Buck. Um, I'm so passionate about preparing offenders to reenter society. Right. Right. And I truly believe that if they had all the tools that are available, their chances of succeeding would be greatly increased. Yeah. And um, if I could find the funding, I would do this as a full-time job. Uh, right. Because uh, all the speakers I've taken, like Ethan and, and uh, George Medley and um, Mark Jackson, they do this without being compensated whatsoever. Right. And they take they take a full day with me to go to the travel a few hours to the prison, speak, travel back. Yep. And I would love to find the funding to be able to compensate them Com and, and provide more compensation for Defy Colorado, um, more compensation for the Covey program that's uh, in some of the prisons uh, to be able to compensate. The, the people who, uh, with uh, authentic relations. So there are so many different programs out there, Buck, that are doing phenomenal work. But first of all, they have to spend half of their time raising money so they can go yeah. volunteer in the prisons. And I'd rather have them 
be able to reach more prisons since because they have the funding through a source that I'd love to be able to make available uh, and be able to reach that many more individuals. Uh, some of these programs are just phenomenal, but they only have enough funding to go into two or three prisons. Well, Colorado has 23 prisons. Yeah. And so in my dream of dreams, I've created an organization that just needs funding and I call it no returns. So the umbrella for this whole program is no returns. I want these guys to go through the program and not return. Sure, right. And, and all of these different programs, Authentic Relating, the Speaker Series, Defy Colorado, Second Chance, on and on and on. If they have exposure to all of these programs before they leave prison, then once again, their chances of staying out are much, much better because they've been prepared for life after. And Ooh. so many of them walk out with a bag of clothes and, and a few bucks and yeah. know where to go. Well, yeah. where do you think they're going to end up? They'll be back. So that's my dream is to have an organization called No Returns. And under that No Returns umbrella, you would have eight or 10 programs that could go into all 23 prisons and not just three. Right. And I've met with the, the head of corrections for the state of Colorado. And and I put numbers with this program. I said, it'll take some time, obviously, because recidivism rates are based on uh, a three-year period that uh, they um, are, that they stay out of prison for three years following their release. Right. And um, so it would take three years to start seeing recidivism rates going down. But when I met with the head of corrections for the for Colorado, I said, every time someone leaves and they don't come back, it saves the state $40,000. Correct. So 10 who leave and don't come back that would have ordinarily come back, 10 leave that don't come back just in one prison is $400,000. Yep. Just for one. Multiply that times 23. Yeah. And then I gave them numbers of 25 per prison. If 25 per prison times 23 prisons leave and don't come back, the Big state has now saved 20 million. Yeah. 50, 100. If 100 leave and they don't come back, the system saves over $80 million a year. Yeah. That could pay for a lot of programs. <laughs> I, could, I could pay for a lot of a lot of things. I mean, it's you know, as, as you hit, um, there's, I guess, you know, being a prior resident in the system. I mean, I feel I felt so bad for so many of the guys just because it's like, man, you never had a chance. I mean, like. And to then be getting out and expecting a, a second chance or good to go back into with, without any training or support on the outside and or, or a community to go into because it takes a community of support to, to come out. I mean, I'm, I'm very well blessed on that. I had a lot of love, a lot of friends, a lot of support. Um, you know, had a prior job and career and. Uh, I'd started a company, sold it, started a nonprofit. So I, I had a different, I had a whole different set of skills and, and chances when I see so many people um, that don't, that never had, right? That, I mean, grew up in a gang setting and at five years old were like, hey, run this over to the neighbors and they're drug dealing at five, six, seven years old. Don't even know it yet because they think they're just, you know, running in favor for dad or whatever. It's just like, man, I feel, I feel for you. And, you know, expecting, what chance do you have growing up um, to even break in and then to come out and not having that support you're saying, or, or to go through the programs, you know, I was lucky and went through the seven habits, the Covey program and went through defy and got out. I was like one of the first graduates to get out with defy and, you know, they didn't really know what to do with me. Yet. They're like, Oh no, we got somebody out now. <laughs> um, yeah. and I was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and uh i was super blessed on on how that's worked for me and you know getting to work with them and and getting funding for art for redemption you know project and 
and the whole thing. So, um, I, and I, I, I same, I try to give back. I, I, I can't go back into prisons to speak yet. I look forward to when I might be able to do that. Um, and I, I mean, I, I mean, you hit the nail on the head too, right? I mean, these, these, the department of corrections has such a huge budget. <laughs> and <it's just> like, <laughs> like if you just refocused that a little bit and just renamed some things, um, the amount of, of funding and help that could be done on the recidivism rate and the recidivism rate is lower in Colorado than nationally. I think nationally it's up above 80%, almost 90%. And Colorado is in the low seventies. And some of these programs that you're talking about, once you get involved with them, you know, they're still new, but uh, you know, to date the track, I think defy, we haven't had anybody go back yet, but it, it's, uh, well, I'll take that back. We have, so it's, it's less than 5% though. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's just amazing uh, on if, if just the mindset, if we could just get people to change the mindset and, and as you, we've kind of talked about here, the humanity, just realizing that, Hey, we're all human. We make mistakes. And if, if being, being in prison is punishment enough, you don't have to continue to drive the nails in, so to speak on 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 that and that if you can just open it up and open your mind up a little bit and realize that these guys are creative individuals they bring talent they have their they're 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 humans we're all human i mean and and to you know the, the being in that environment is rough um you know you and everyone that i know that goes there to visit is always just blown away by you know the compassion and and the the thank youness because we're just so hungry for someone to like hear us and see us as a human. Um, and then when that happens, we're just like, Oh, we're okay. We're still human. We're okay. <laughs> um, yeah. um, so it's, it's kind of heavy. Um, but so I, I, you know, anything I can do to help you with, with that work um, and, you know, the, the, getting the department of corrections just to kind of look at it that way. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a heavy lift, sir. It's a heavy, big lift. It, it but, is, uh, but I, I think it can be done. And I, I know there are foundations that could possibly support something like this. And uh, it's just finding uh, the right sources to get this off the ground. But I believe we could prove the numbers um, that will show that we're going to save the system a lot of money when yeah. uh, this program really really gets going and and on top of that and this is so darn critical um is having jobs when they get out and uh the colorado department of corrections was just getting the take two program off the ground and two stands for transitional work opportunities and i was helping the state in finding employers who would hire offenders who were in their last year of incarceration. So here during the last year, they're able to make money, save money, and then have money available for a car, for a used car when they get out, money to put down on an apartment. And if they performed well in this job over the last year, chances are they would be offered a full-time job once they're released. So all of these things are so positive versus walking out with a few bucks in your hand and nowhere to go, no job. And and you have this word of um, uh, offender after your name or felon after your name. And and there are just so many companies say, well, oh no, 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 can't, we can't hire you. Well, there are a lot of companies that will hire uh, former offenders. And, um, we were just in the midst of putting all of this together with many uh, employers saying yes, yes, yes. And then everything blew up. Well, thank It will come back around and all of a sudden we'll have uh, a shortage, a labor shortage again. And these same people who said yes before will say yes again, and we'll get these, these people employed and, uh, they'll be on the road to a much, much better life when they get out well, it's it's even if it doesn't lead into the full-time employment and they, they know that once they're getting out that they're kind of having to move on and it's the stepping stone but just having some money in your pocket to be able to get a car or just to have some i mean the other side of this too is is the housing 
aspect of it. Having felon on the end of your, in your name. I mean, if I didn't have a friend that was willing to take me into his home, I would not have been able to find housing. Um, and I mean, that's just crazy. So it's just, uh, and it's hard. I mean, so we wonder why, why so many people, but you can't, I mean, it's, unless you have someone that's going to take you in family member, friend, and that that person's a positive influence, you know, it's one thing having a friend that'll be like, yeah, I'll take you in. But then, you know, it was just running you right back into the, the same lifestyle before that got you, got you where you went. Uh, it's another thing coming out to, to a place that's, you know, sober, empathetic, supportive and, and those things. So it, it's, it's such a critical need. And so, I mean, it's, uh, it, it really is. And we spoke of Ethan earlier and Ethan told me that he was rejected by 17 apartment complexes when he got out. Yeah. And, you know, we all have a certain point where you just take, you can only take so much rejection and say, uh, heck with it. Yeah. You know, what, what I, am I, supposed I, to do? I, I had a bed and three meals a day in prison. I guess maybe it's just better to go back into prison. Yeah. Yeah. And whereas if they have been able to save money up uh, in their last year and have that apartment and, and have that possibility of uh, employment as soon as they get out, then, man, you've just made made things much, much easier for them to succeed. And uh, if they're and then on top of that, if their family takes them back in, uh, then um once again, the chances are, are so much better to, to succeed. And there's a fellow named Jeff Johnson who um, got out and a friend of his, um, and Jeff was in 23 years for a crime he didn't commit. His buddy committed wow. the crime, but he was there when it happened. And so he got a life sentence at the guilty, age of guilty, guilty by yeah. association, right? Right. So, yeah, he had been in for 23 and um, the uh, Colorado courts overturned life sentences for juveniles a couple of years ago. And I think he was the first one who was released after that uh, ruling was overturned. He got out and he had a friend who was in the business of the um, uh the small like shed business like a tough shed it wasn't tough right. shed but it's a company like that well this guy uh his buddy who was a former inmate and he's a sales manager for this company he hired jeff right after he got out of prison jeff quickly became one of the top sales people for the for the company married a gal and uh, a few months ago they just had twins he's on awesome. top of the world yeah <laughs> and awesome. and uh, he's also um, really very, very active in prison reform and uh, is very, very passionate about that and has met with legislators and all. So it's really neat to see guys get out and want to do positive things for the prison system and, yeah. uh, and once again, help make things a little bit easier. Yeah. for uh, Well, it's so, it's so messed up. I mean, I, I mean, I, for me, for me, it was like I walked into an alternate universe, you know, just trying to get my head wrapped around the system when, you know, coming from, like I said, entrepreneur and, and starting a nonprofit and, and traveling and, you know, that whole thing. And the next thing you know, walking into the big house, I'm just like, well, how in the hell did I get myself here? Well, okay, I know how I got, my, I know how I got myself here. But, what, you know, this place is, 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 you know, this, the mindset of most individuals, and, and, and when I say that most individuals, not just the residents, the, the, the guards and everybody else is like, come on. I mean, but, um, yeah, you know, not to, but it's, it's messed up. So I, I, you know, like I said, I mean, anything I can do to help you with that and go talking to people, I'm, I'm there. I'm trying to talk Thanks. to Gene as well about some things, uh, some of that program money. Um, that could be used um, in an in-prison program to, um, you know, help Art for Redemption. It was born inside of prison. It really deserves a, a way that the guys can see back into there. Either it be a t-shirt shop and warehousing and, and, you know, some of those things. And, you know, just having just just having a skill set to be like, yeah, I've worked, you know, did this for the last year or two years. 
coming out, at least they'll be like, well, okay, you've held down a, a job for like the last couple of years. There's, you know, so many people that just don't have any kind of the skill set of, or even the discipline of, of understanding, okay, I get up and I got to have these chores or I've got this responsibility is what we talk about. Because, you know, you, you've got jobs inside of prison that you're getting paid, I think maybe $17 a month or something for to go sweep a floor or, or mop the, the gym or, you know, walk around and pick up some trash or mow the lawn, but you're not really learning, uh, you know, like how to manage anything or a, a, right. a skill set. Really. So right. um, I, it's right. so, so needed. So, so needed. Well, Hey man, um, any parting wisdom or, or inspiration do you have to, to put out there for anybody? You, you, you got you got anything else to share? Uh, I really don't think so. Um, I just, um, if, if any offenders happen to, to view this, um, I just hope they know that there are people out there that really, really care about them and care about their future and are willing to do whatever we can to help them uh, be successful uh, yeah, when they, when they reenter. That's great. I, I, I was kind of thinking that you might be like, well, if you get a chance to go visit a prison, it might change your life. Um, Cause obviously it did you. Um, it, and, it, and every guest I've ever taken with me, it's changed them as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, Scott, I appreciate your time. You have a wonderful day down in Southern Colorado. I know, know it's a beautiful day down there. So I won't hold you up anymore. I appreciate right. your time and uh, have a great day. Okay, thanks so much. This is your host, Buck Adams. If you are interested in being a guest on the show, please contact us through artforredemption.com. Art for Redemption is an e-commerce platform for incarcerated artists. We are currently collecting art from artists nationwide to be showcased in the first ever coffee table book for this genre. Check us out at artforredemption.com.